people that were directly affected and, you know, their grandchildren may still face the lasting effects of the bombs in uh, Hiroshima yeah. and Nagasaki. It's incredible that they've, I guess... That well, they're embracing it at all. That they're embracing it. And, of course, they're, you know, it, it gets easier when your your country is spending four to five billion dollars a year on importing uh, liquid natural gas. Yeah. All right, everybody, welcome to the Angel Research Podcast. We are here, as usual today, to discuss the market's hottest stock stories and investment opportunities. Today, we're going to be talking about the European energy crisis with the help of industry expert Luke Sweeney. Luke is a regular contributor to Energy and Capital and Energy Investor, and he is here today to walk us through some of the recent and critical developments that are happening in Europe. We're going to talk about the Nord Stream pipeline leaks, uh, a very desperate situation that's going on in Germany, some solutions in the near and long term for Europe, and some potential investment opportunities surrounding this crisis. Uh, per our usual disclaimer, nothing that we say here today is personal financial advice. Uh, also, please like, comment, and subscribe. The engagement really helps us out for the channel. We, we really do appreciate it. Uh, welcome, Mr. Sweeney, to the show. It is good, good to have you back on. The last time that you were here, we kind of talked about uh, some pretty far out ideas, futurism, technology. But today, I want to get a little bit more grounded and talk about what's going on in Europe. Uh, I think this headline from ABC encapsulates the situation pretty well. It reads, lights out, ovens off. Uh, Europe preps for winter energy crisis. So maybe could you give us some background here uh, as to what's going on? Why is, why are, why are people in Europe turning off their ovens and their lights? Um, and you know, how did we get to this situation where they're you know facing this global energy crisis? Sure. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a uh, it definitely wasn't a a sudden move uh, in this situation. Uh, plenty of things are responsible for the the current crisis. Uh, I guess as it began, the COVID shortage was the uh was the kickoff to all of this you know plants were shuttering down and you know when power plants go offline they can't just ramp back up at a moment's notice it requires a lot of infrastructure it requires a lot of energy in order to get back to them to the point that we were before the initial shutdown happened yep um then of course uh you know if you've been following this publication at all you'll understand that the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine was another huge factor that shut down the world's energy economy. Um, in particular, Europe and Germany uh, were facing the worst of this. You know, they have been they've been buying way too much energy from Russia since day one. You know, it was one of those things that it was a can being kicked down the road. They. Uh, so I think it would it would probably come down to like the over reliance on Russian gas. You would you would say right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's all of the <laughs> everything that the world is facing right now is essentially a withdrawal symptom from being heavily dependent on Russian energy. Um, even uh, I think I think Germany in particular was getting about forty five percent of its total energy from Russia. So. And now it's like close to pretty much being completely cut off, right? Just about, yeah. At, at, there was a certain point where Russia decided that everyone who was hostile, in Putin's words, to their country would no longer be allowed to buy Russian gas. But after a certain point when it turned out that the EU and most of the developed world was considered hostile to them, they shut the tap off completely. Okay. Uh, speaking of shutting the tap off completely, uh, I 
there are some things that went on with the Nord Stream pipeline this week. Um, oh, yeah. So that, that is the main uh, gas pipeline between Russia and, and Europe. Uh, and it experienced two explosions this week that caused, uh, you know, unprecedented uh, leaks of natural gas uh, spewing into the, is it the Baltic Sea? It was, yeah, absolutely. Um, and Europe is pointing fingers at Russia. The Kremlin is predictably saying, uh, denying this, and they're calling the accusations absurd. Uh, who's correct here? What's going on? Uh, do we know yet? Um, could this be, you know, some conspiracy from from the U.S. like Russia's trying to point out, or is it pretty clear that Russia is kind of cutting off the energy here? Excellent question. Honestly, <laughs> you know. It's I'm asking it's, you to speculate on a lot here. So, <laughs> it's It's one of those situations where – you know, we're never going to know the real answer unless <laughs> unless Putin were to get on, you know, on camera and admit to the situation. We'll never really know. Sure. However, I mean, the situation is as it is. They there were two nearly simultaneous explosions on the outside of a natural gas pipeline that has never experienced any sort of catastrophic issues like this before. Natural causes somehow don't seem like the most likely option. And again, you know, if we look at who stands to benefit from this situation the most, it's obviously Russia. You know, this is a power play that will allow them to, you know, continue their stranglehold on the the energy supplies to Europe, even if they don't personally control all of the energy flowing to Europe. Yeah. And... I'm surprised that like this isn't like bigger news and more people aren't talking about it right now because it, it's to me it seems almost like a precursor to like something bigger. Like if Russia wanted to just stop the, the gas from moving, they could have done that, but they're actually destroying the physical infrastructure. So it almost seems like a preface for like, you know, further attacks or some sort of like like they're preparing for like deeper war. Um, what yeah, is absolutely. This? Well, sorry. Here, Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. No, I was going to say that's that's absolutely correct. And I feel like. If Russia, like you said, if Russia wanted to halt flow through all of their existing pipelines, they could do it in a moment's notice. However, the headline the next day would read, Russia halts flow of all of their energy through the pipeline. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, Nord Stream pipeline, nameless blame, sure you know, has a problem. I feel like basically. everyone kind of knows, or at least Europe is definitely pointing fingers. And, pretty... and that's what, you know, the Kremlin says that the allegations are absurd. Yeah. But this is par for the course for Russia. If anything, regardless of the tr- the veracity of the situation, it certainly is not absurd. It's <laughs> yeah, it's practically expected, but we'll never know, and that's what the Kremlin is banking on. So, so I, I think that there's probably it's probably safe to say that there's uh, at least a good chance that there's no turning back at this point for Europe. Um, they're either going to need to become energy dependent, or they're going to need to rely uh, closer on trade with other you know other nations. Uh, you know the Western trade bloc. Uh, North and South America. Uh, what are Europe's options for energy moving forward? You know, how do they cope? What, what can they do in the near term? Um, is that mostly like a, an issue of, you know, managing demand with, with, from their citizens? And then what can they do uh, in, the, in the long term to, you know, kind of just not have to rely so much on Russia? Um, I think right now, a lot of the people in Germany, especially, or in the European Union, in the, you know, the broader market are are yelling at each other about the solution to that. You know, I think it's been a real a real struggle because, I, I mean, you know, energy was cut off so quickly. I mean, it was, you know, practically overnight that Russia decided, you know, sorry, Europe, 
you don't, you know, if you don't like us, then we're not giving you what you're used to. Yeah. But the solution is not something that can just be enacted quite that quickly. No, well, I think you the know? way the markets are responding, it's pretty obvious that this isn't going to be solved uh, anytime right. soon. Overnight. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, no, I think the best, so Germany and Europe haven't exactly been sitting on their thumbs in this. They have been thinking heavily about the ways to do it. But it just before Russia really, you know, upped the ante here, it didn't seem like it was worthwhile. But now that Russian gas is off the table, all of those ulterior solutions are, are you know, coming into play. Sure. So I think basically. maybe a, a bit of context here that, that is kind of maybe not everybody is aware of is that it was some sometime around like in 2011 when uh, uh, German Chancellor uh, Merkel, she was basically kind of like applauded for taking uh, Germany off of nuclear power. They said they're going to shut down all these nuclear power plants. Um, but uh, that seems to kind of be biting them in the ass right now. And uh, The Atlantic recently put out an article. They, they said that that was like her biggest mistake, you know, as, as a leader. Um, and in June, Germany put two, uh, two nuclear power plants back on, on standby. I know that you're kind of a proponent of nuclear power. Um, is, is Germany putting these nuclear power plants back online just a temporary me measure? Or like, is it possible that we're going to see them kind of like embrace nuclear power again? Because they're like, you know, what else, what else are we going to do? We're either going to... Right, this or the other. Yeah, so... Uh, I think there's a lot of questions in there. I think overall, yes, is my <laughs> is my answer to, to everything you've just said. So to start at the beginning, uh, Merkel, yeah, 2011, she, you know, made the decision that, you know, the, the Germany's extensive nuclear power system should be essentially shuttered. Um, since then, at, at this moment right now, there are only three nuclear power plants running in Germany, and they have a, a, a laughably small capacity compared to how much energy Germany uses on a, on a yearly basis. Um, it's been said that, you know, so another journalist said that Meghan Merkel's biggest mistake was removing the, you know, was, was basically disconnecting Germany from nuclear power. Um, well, not unfortunately, but interestingly enough, Merkel also mentioned, you know, straight from the horse's mouth in 2021 that her biggest mistake was getting behind the Nord Stream pipeline because she believed that it wasn't giving enough benefit to the EU. She thought that it was heavily favoring Russia. Gotcha. In terms of just like, well, you've, you know, power imbalance. You've seen that clip, right, of, uh, I think, is it, I don't know, is it at the UN and Trump is talking to, Trump's giving a speech at the UN and there's a bunch of, like, they're, like, it's a picture of the German, like, it's a video of the German counselor, whoever, whoever is there, and he's basically saying, like, you are going to be, you're too reliant on, on Russian on energy, Russian and they're just laughing at him, like, right. they're, they're laughing at him, and that's, that's something that yeah. definitely started circulating recently, so. Yeah, I did, so I remember seeing that, and it's, it's. It's a, a good talking point that it came from Trump, but he was not even remotely the first person to be sure. to be expressing concern yeah. about that. And even while he was doing that, I bet you there were high up members of the German government that were begging Merkel, saying, "You know, you're giving you're giving Putin a lifeline to the economy of this country." Yeah. And what happens? You know, I'm sure people were saying, "What happens in 2022 when Russia does X, Y, Z?" and decides that, uh, you know, 
Germany's Germany's business is no longer important to us. Yeah. Then you know they're going to blow up pipelines. They're going to cut off the tap, and here we are. So Germany <laughs> seems pretty committed to to getting rid of nuclear. Uh, what about the rest of Europe? Are there any countries where nuclear is going to to thrive in Europe, or is kind of Europe like just writing this off entirely? Uh, I think I think right now Europe is having a particularly tough time with nuclear power, despite the fact that they really need it in terms of you know energy security, in terms of uh, complementary baseload power for uh, other renewables like wind and solar. Yeah, um, but. Unfortunately, before, you know, before it, the news cycle has kind of been thrown into disarray uh, in the past two or three years. But before that, Europe was fairly confident that nuclear was coming back. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as, you know, as soon as all of this chaos happened with natural gas and fossil fuels in the, go- in the uh, global market, Germany was actually the first one to raise a point of contention is nuclear energy really green yeah and well a, a lot of it came from the the fukushima uh disaster right did, there was a, there was a lot of backlash around there it was and it makes sense because you know that was everyone has been tired of hearing about chernobyl for 30 years because the real cause of that was the ineptitude of the soviet government and the engineers that they basically put in charge of the project fukushima when it was first being constructed if anyone remembers it was kind of hailed as, you know, the modern approach mm. to nuclear energy, the new, yeah. the, the new concept that don't worry about the mistakes of the past. This is where we're going in the future. Yeah, so maybe people over there are like they're tired of the the promises because they're like, you know, you've said, you know, fool me once, shame I, on, shame on you. It, exactly. No, I, I, and I understand, and I would, I would be if if the Japanese people were one hundred percent united against nuclear, I would. Fault, I would not fault them yeah. for even a well, moment it's because interesting. it it's messed inter- them up. Yeah, it's interesting you, you mentioned that because I was reading early, the, just earlier this week, uh, Japan is actually reversing policy and uh, and restarting nuclear plants. I was hoping um, you would say that. <laughs> and, and while I guess, uh, you know, while Europe isn't restarting the nuclear plants, I guess the idea is that that will reduce the energy strain because they, they won't need to import as much natural gas, and that will allow Europe to get more natural gas themselves. Absolutely. Um, so... Uh, Maybe, I guess, a side question. Uh, do you expect that we're going to see kind of a resurgence of power in Southeast Asia, or is it just maybe just Japan that we know about right now that's... Oh, man. I guess that's a good question. It's tough. The 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 power... The power requirements of East Asia are, at this point, heavily dominated by China. Okay. You know, it's a, a lot of the countries that don't have the opportunity or that, you know, don't have the option to reach across across the globe and you know grab up multiple billions of cubic feet of natural gas or you know multiple million barrels of oil you know what are their other options than to go to the industry leading powerhouse that is china yeah essentially but um you know you mentioned that japan is having a resurgence in nuclear i actually read recently that 60% of Japanese citizens polled were in favor of nuclear power, which is kind of incredible considering they are, you know, Japanese, Japan is not a huge country. It's every, every person that was living in the country 
was within a hundred miles of the Fukushima disaster. Yeah. Essentially, that's you know, don't quote me on that, yeah. but that's they've also know. been hit with a couple of nuclear bombs too. So but, I mean, it's like it's like it was pretty excellent reasonable. Point. If anyone's going to be against nuclear power, it probably right. should be that. It would be the Japanese yeah. citizenry, not necessarily the government, because yeah. they have their own. You know, they obviously have motives about where to move forward. But the people that were directly affected, and you know, their grandchildren may still face the lasting effects of the bombs in uh, Hiroshima yeah. and Nagasaki. It's incredible that they've, I guess, that well, they're embracing it at all. That they're embracing it, and of course, they're you know, it it gets easier when your your country is spending four to five billion dollars a year on importing uh, liquid natural gas. Yeah. So. All right. What about uh, nuclear in the U.S.? You had you had sent me uh, the other day a recent uh, Department of Energy report that said uh, basically. They were stating that it's possible to retire coal plants in the U.S. and convert them to nuclear power plants. Uh, how feasible is this strategy? Do you think it, it's actually going to happen? Uh, how many coal plants are we talking about? Um, you know, maybe just give us some background on, on that situation. Sure. You know way more than I do on it. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is one of the things that I've kind of been focusing on recently. You know, I don't. Quick disclaimer: I try to consider myself an environmentalist, but I'm also a realist. Sure. And I'm a huge proponent of nuclear energy. Yeah. Well, but, look, I mean, I, I think it's like, it's pretty obvious that when you're not a realist, you could that, those kinds of policies can, can end up biting you. Because we're seeing sure. that happen in Germany, where they're oh, having yeah. to restart coal power plants because they were so committed to green energy and they wanted to shun all of these other things that they weren't considering to be green. And now they're stuck in this situation where they're burning the dirtiest possible fuel on the, on the planet, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Nuclear, uh, well, Germany was, you know, one of the hottest renewable sectors in the entire renewable economy, yeah. essentially. They're, so, yeah, you were like, saying... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, you were saying you consider yourself a realist. I didn't want to interrupt yeah. you, oh, get no, you no, too yeah, far no. off track. No, I consider myself a realist, especially in terms of energy and nuclear policy and stuff like that. Like, I I have faith in the technology, but I also understand that it's not the easiest thing for a country of, you know, 20 million people to stomach, depending on, you know, especially if, like we said, yeah, they live basically on the border of one of the worst nuclear disasters yeah. on the planet. Um. But in Germany, you know, they have a, an incredibly robust renewable energy program. I don't know if you remember recently in the last couple of years, there were headlines that basically read Germany has powered its entire country using entirely renewables. But it was, you know, given for a short time. Yeah, or like not during peak energy right. use or it something was, like exactly. that. Exactly. If you look, it, it, exactly. Yeah. It wasn't all the time and it wasn't during a full thing. But they, what it, what it told people was, hey, we have the potential, if you invest enough, to make this work for our entire country, yeah. essentially. And so that's not what's happening right now. Germany only has three active uh, nuclear power plants yeah. running. Um, only two of them are in this legislation to be kept running, gotcha. essentially. And in terms of power production, they produce about 69 terawatt hours of power. It's a decent amount. Unfortunately, Germany in general, on a yearly basis, uses about 569 terawatt hours. So it's far from a catch-all solution, but it's it's one of those things that if you're looking to get yourself off of fossil fuels, 
it is n- absolutely necessary to have in conjunction with wind and solar. Gotcha. That, you know, Germany's been a leader in. Sure. Essentially. Okay. So speaking of alternative energy sources, just going back to the uh, coal power plants, uh, the conversion in, right, in the right, U.S. Sorry. Uh, no, you're fine. Um, I guess how many of those are we talking about, and, and how uh, likely is it that we're going to see this happen? What you know, what does that whole process entail? Yeah, sorry, I, I no, got off fine. on a bit of a tangent there, but yeah. So the in in terms of the the Department of Energy, they basically provided the first official say so. You know, they were the first government to really dig into this. We've had plenty of private companies. Uh, Bill Gates is Terra Power, mm-hmm. um, a nuclear outfit that has been desperately trying to gain ground uh, are they trying to refit coal plants as well they're the only so far they're the only company that has at least tried to yeah. do this they have a facility that they're you know that they haven't disclosed the full details about but they're expecting by 2026 to have entirely retrofitted a coal power plant to work with nuclear and again they haven't given us a lot of the details but it's it's definitely looking like a real option. Yeah, you know there there are a couple a couple interesting ways that this will work. Do you know? Do you happen to know what it is about coal plants that like makes them viable for for a, being a nuclear energy plant? Is it like the thickness of the walls? Is it what's the there? Like, yeah. So there's there's I mean based on the Department of Energy's review which is you know it didn't go too deep it's not like they had people at each individual plant sure you know scraping the walls and testing the stone and stuff like that but there there are a few key pieces of infrastructure in coal power plants that are also incredibly necessary for nuclear power plants and also cost you know hundreds of millions of dollars to set up so like transportation um ways to bring fuel in and you know just handle not necessarily the output but bringing the you know the huge tons of coal that are required to to run these plants in it's not the same with nuclear power plants because the fuel in terms of weight is much lower mm-hmm. but you know these these places might be connected to rail lines they might be connected to you know robust transportation systems okay. that can essentially make you know that can essentially remove a huge part of the construction process okay you know, a lot of times um, coal power plants have, you know, office buildings been taught because they're in the middle of semi-remote areas, which would also be ideal for nuclear power because no one wants to live in a in a neighborhood directly next to a nuclear, okay. Okay. <laughs> nuclear reactor. Um, and they have arguably the most important part, which is cooling infrastructure. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. Which, you know, nuclear, all all. All power plants are essentially turbines that are turned by a different power source. Coal power plants, you burn coal, the heated air turns a turbine, generates electricity. Hydropower, the running water turns a turbine, generates electricity. Nuclear power, nuclear energy generates an intense amount of heat, creates steam, turns a turbine, (laughs) and, and generates power. Okay, so are there any investment opportunities here? I guess either I would assume it's going to be, you know, companies, nuclear companies coming in that would try to do the conversion. And then there's like the coal companies that own the properties uh, and can sell it. Like, is there is there anyone that you're aware of at the moment or that you're is that something that you're looking at or you would think would be interesting to look at? That would retro uh, to. So I think it might be a little early to 
to sure because it just came out well and it's you know it's this is something that has been discussed in the private sector for a long time but this is just this is the first time that the government has really put you know taxpayer money behind funding whether or not this is an acceptable idea I wonder if it has like the timing of that has to do with all this like energy situation that's that's going on and if we're it's, trying to become super energy independent and it's no you're absolute no absolutely I think it's undeniable that the world and I think the US in general is trying to become energy independent because if you look at what Biden is funding recently you know the chip shortage was a problem mm-hmm. in in the world so he you know signed the chips and science act and now we have billions of dollars going to create a domestic semiconductor industry. Yeah, I would I would um, say it's I think it's fair to say that the th- uh, economic theme over the next at least the next decade is going to be deglobalization and kind absolutely. of this, you know, schism no, ab- between the, the at least the east and the west. Absolutely. No, because back in the days of the, you know, in the 90s and the 80s when globalization was the big push, it rewarded a lot of the world. Nowadays, you know, the world is globalizing energy and look how that's affected Europe, you yeah. know. Germany in general, or Germany in, in you know in particular, is <laughs> has not been benefiting from globalization. It's definitely put, an ugly lightly. situation for them. Absolutely. I have a, I have a buddy who's going to uh, Germany for his honeymoon uh, in a couple months, and I'm like, oh man, that's that might not be fun. Don't invest while you're there. <laughs> uh, all right, let's let's okay, let's move beyond nuclear. Uh, for uh, kind of last thing I want to talk about today is uh, liquid natu- liquid natural gas or LNG. Um, so if Europe can't get its, its LNG from Russia. Um, America, to me, seems like an obvious option. America recently became the uh, the largest uh, exporter of LNG in the world. Um, Germany earlier this month began uh, building uh, or maybe it acquired a fifth LNG import facility. Um, they're, they're saying that it's green because they're saying that the terminals can also store hydrogen um, in the future. So that's kind of the argument they're making, but I think really they're doing it out of necessity. Uh, absolutely. Uh, w- what does kind of this road roadmap look like for Germany um, in terms of the, these import terminals that they're building, how many is it just going to be this five? Are there going to be more? Uh, how long is it going to take to get them online? Yeah. So the most recent one, I was I was digging into a little bit after after we were talking about this. Um, the most recent et- export facility that they finished, you know, those things don't just go up overnight. It was most definitely in construction before all of this chaos started yeah. happening. Because you know what I mean. Like it, it got basically you know the the ribbon cut right as all of this was happening so gotcha. i bet you germany wishes they could have three of those ready to go right now mm-hmm. but unfortunately you know that's a huge piece of infrastructure it's basically like constructing an oil rig in, yeah you know well, in, the, a, in a small amount of the time the fifth one that they just picked up it's like on a fl- it's like a floating one that's, so yeah. did they like i guess they maybe like moved it from somewhere else or they purchased it from somewhere else so that's where that's where i was going next what they these floating pipelines that they talk about are essentially just giant shipping vessels that are retrofitted to have enormous uh liquid gas storage or oil storage gotcha. or you know whatever but that you know you mentioned investment opportunities that's that was what I was going to mention as a oh the as company a strong, that's, pro- that's providing those as oh yeah absolutely so. because is you that know, something that you're willing to tell us right now or is that something that you're kind of giving your your I don't know well so it's I'm I'll point you guys towards it in terms of a general gist of it but I'm not sure if I if I have a, a specific play to go there that okay might, you might gotcha. have to check Energy Investor for that one sure sure um but the you know so taking a step back and looking at Europe 
as an example. They had a rock-solid energy distribution system through Russia. You know, rock-solid being the debatable term. But once that solid distribution shut down, you know, flexibility became the name of the game, basically. And so these floating pipelines, um, a, cu- a couple of that we've been, you know, paying attention in Energy Investor, they are the flexibility and the capacity that has essentially kept Europe alive. Because Germany has probably three or four of these floating pipelines, you know, sitting offshore, you know, full of liquid natural gas that can essentially, you know, come straight to them. Sure. And and give them the, you know, the energy security that they've basically lost gotcha. from Russia. So floating pipelines is definitely one of the uh, – and there are companies that basically just operate these pipelines, Absolutely, or yeah. and, and basically, rent, do like, they rent them out or lease? Is is it like a do, lease? Yeah, it's through like a lease program where um, a company will have a fleet of you know, ten to twelve vessels. I yeah. think is the is the usual average, yeah. and you know they operate on on contracts that say, hey, I need a huge amount of natural gas right now, and they're essentially the only company on earth that can meet that need. Yeah. basically flexibility is the name of the game i, I think that, that that's actually pretty truly i mean what what are the other options i yeah. mean you, no like, it makes it makes sense it makes sense because things are so are so chaotic right now i mean that, that right. seems like a actually very valuable asset that, right. that company might have well and i mean the you know building a an lng terminal the you know the McHenry like the the lng terminals in america took seven to eight years yeah on average each one to build mm-hmm. so that's not something that you can just snap your fingers and call it a day yeah um are those lng terminals um i would expect that a lot of the uh the imports that they're going to be taking are from america are there other countries though as well uh where they may be getting uh, their lng from yeah i i guess at this point it would be great to ask our viewers if you can guess where uh where the next shipment of lng is going to come from i'll get a pause for a minute and let you guys do you guys think no. about it <laughs> surprisingly, this is not an interactive podcast. I know, right. No, surprisingly, <laughs> it's going to come from the Middle East. Yeah. The United Arab Emirates and uh, Qatar in in particular are more than happy to middleman either gas that they produce or just buy Russian gas on the cheap, mark it up real quick, change the name, and send it on over to whoever needs it. Gotcha. So we're definitely in a, in a weird middle ground in terms of the energy economy. Yeah. So it's, that's anxious investors. That's a good place to look out for. All right, cool. That's pretty much everything I had on my list to, to chat about today. Um, uh, you know, is there anything else you want to plug or anything that you think that investors should be paying attention to right now? I was I was taking notes uh, just just before coming in here. I was reading one of your articles on like battery materials and EV demand. Uh, I didn't want to dig too much into that, but uh, you know, I figured maybe you got something to. No, that's a fun. Yeah, that's a fun side tangent to go on. Um, you know. Uh, one of the more, I guess, predictable uh, transitions that we're heading for is the electronic electric vehicle transition. Um, I don't know if anyone watching this has bought electric vehicles, but in the next ten years, it's going to be a lot more common. You know, Teslas were kind of the the unicorn on the road. You know, that you would look out and be like, oh, look, there goes a Tesla. But nowadays, there are a lot more 
do you know what the like the market penetration is at this point? Because I feel like I'm always hearing this like all the time. It's like They're electric, coming. They're electric coming. vehicles are going to take over. And Tesla came out and people started buying Teslas. But like, I still like it's only a couple on the street. Like living in Baltimore, I'm looking around. I'm like, I can't even like I couldn't feasibly own an electric vehicle where I live because I don't have. I mean, right. my my you know my townhouse doesn't have a parking pad. Right. Uh, yeah. we, there's plenty. It's just street parking. So it's like there's what, what would I do with an electric vehicle? It would just die. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. Everyone, take note. This is the the literal. The, the this is the most. <laughs> this is the most common argument against electron. I mean, not, you know, not to say it's an argument, but it's the most valid concern yeah. for people, you know, looking to potentially get. Yeah, I read somewhere that it's something like you know at least like half the population in the U.S. doesn't have access to right. a carport or a garage. No. So and if you don't, cutting... if you don't have that, the public infrastructure is so far is lacking as a personal i i went to la recently uh to visit my sister and we rented an electric car and from hertz and did you get a tesla was, it was from hertz we didn't get a tesla we got a polestar 2 oh okay. which I, dude i like the polestars awesome it was beautiful yeah. it was great great car is that that's volvo right it is Vol volvo or recently did... spun off their luxury okay. brand to be their electric electric department yeah and now it's polestar how's the interior on that car because that's my freaking beautiful is it nice that's it my great. biggest complaint for tesla's no like that well it's absolutely that's what people say is that they're an electric car with a you know an economy interior nice. the polestar nice. was like a luxury volvo suv yeah with a totally glass roof and 500 horsepower basically it they, was, they don't it was offer insane. you the, the porsche porsche Taycan? sadly that was reserved for the what did they call it the hertz dream car situation oh really they actually do have it oh they absolutely oh, do they sick. also had the option to get a nissan gtr oh, that's pretty cool a uh there were a couple other ones uh i think they had a porsche 911 uh and a couple other you know Super yeah. awesome. All right, cars, sorry, I, I got you way off track. I have so yeah, no you, idea what you, we were talking you got about. The e, you got the EV when you were when you rented it. And yeah, you're, yeah, you're, the, you're talking yeah, about the, the infrastructure. And, and we were in LA, in California, arguably the most EV friendly state yeah. on the planet. And we drove around total for the week trip. We probably spent about four hours driving around trying to find public chargers Oof, because we went to one that was listed, and it didn't work. Yeah. Then we went to the second one. And the the touchscreen terminal worked, but someone had kindly ripped off the charging port. Oh, do you think thing. that was someone that like owns a pickup so truck? Just, <laughs> What's up with these? Like, what we were thinking yeah. is that someone, you know, someone from. <laughs> I think it's so funny. There's like these wars that are going on right now between like people who like environmentalists and then like the fucking people who are like just running like like what do they call it? Rolling coal. That too, um, or, or like, like get, or like local governments. Get over it. Yeah, Some people have different cars than you. That's bizarre. No, yeah. recently, I don't know if you guys saw, but in, I think, sometime last year, North Carolina uh, got an initiative where they were, they were basically putting free public chargers across a certain amount of time. So a... Pub, a another politician for, you know, a denomination that we won't mention right now, decided that that wasn't going to work for him. Yeah. He wanted to say if if there are going to be free electric chargers on the road, they all there also have to be free gasoline pumps uh, on mm, the road because mm. he was so offended by the fact that the, you know, the liberals could get their yeah, yeah. free charging yeah. without his pickup truck getting its, yeah. you know, its free $180 worth of of gasoline that 
that was worth it to him. <laughs> How much does it, like, dude, what's the cost of like charging an EV? When we, that's, like, I'm glad you asked. When we charged up the Polestar 2 on a, uh, on a level two charger, so it was fast enough to charge it in maybe two and a half hours, <laughs> paid $8. Really? Oh, wow. That's, full battery, that's pretty fantastic. Full battery charged. That's pretty fantastic. I mean, it's a pain in the ass that you have to wait two hours, but that, thank you. It was, it was kind of annoying, but we just kind of parked it, plugged it in, and then went and got hammered at a taco bar. So. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so any, I guess any, uh, you know, opportunities in terms of investing on, you know, on that battery demand? Are we just going to see, is lithium, is lithium here to stay? Or is that the, that's oh, it? Oh, man, how much time do you have? <laughs> All right, we could, no, we'll, we'll, you know what, we'll save it for next time. Okay. Luke, Luke, right. Yeah, no, we'll definitely, we'll get into lithium next time. I know that you, you're, you're deep into that. Yes, okay. is my answer. We'll see you guys next time on that one. All right, but... cool. Everyone, thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time. Also, uh, yeah, like, comment, subscribe. Uh, the engagement really helps us out, and we'll see you next time.